This is the Raising Athletes podcast, season two, episode 28, with Kyle Weindell, associate club director and coach of Sunshine Volleyball in Los Angeles. Hi. This is, I'm, (laughs) (laughs) Once you know it's for real, you're like, uh, 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 Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast. Hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us (laughs) about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to the Raising Athletes podcast. You're in for a very exciting interview today. If you're interested in your child playing at the next level, I think in whatever sport, we're going to be talking about volleyball and college recruiting today, but you're going to learn a lot from a coach's perspective on what it takes to get to the next level. Kyle Weindell is a former student athlete, a four-year letter winner at Ball State University, where he is no stranger to the game of volleyball. He played an integral role on the Cardinals squad that advanced to the 2002 NC2A final men, men's final four. For his efforts, he garnered All-American recognition. He is an, a, a native of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, He's starting his second season as the associate head coach at Sunshine Volleyball, which was started here in Los Angeles in 1998. It's always ranked, you know, the top of Southern California in girls clubs and always top 10 in the nation. He has considerable experience both as a head coach and as an assistant coach at the collegiate level, including assisting at University of New Mexico, University of Southern California, Ohio University, and St. Louis and then also has served as a head coach at Montana State. In 2011, Weindell was honored with the AVCA, the American Volleyball Coaches Association 30 Under 30 Award, which is given to to 30 up-and-coming volleyball coaches under 30 years of age in the sport at all levels of the game. He gives a lot of insight as to what things to focus on, what to let go, what age to start, um, focusing on getting recruited and again, you know, the path, is it important to play club? How important is it to play club? Um, and what the recruiting process is like. So please enjoy today's chat with Mr. Kyle Weindell. Hello from sunny, windy, and a little, uh, fire filled Los Angeles, California. I'm excited to be here on the Raising Athletes podcast. We, we do it rain, sun, shine, or fire. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're in, in the gusty seasons, but we're happy to be here and safe. Um, and we're going to have a wonderful guest on today. We've never talked about college recruiting, like specifically about that and how we can help our athletes. And today I have a, a special guest to talk about a former college coach and now running a club, help running a club here in Southern California about how to support your athlete in getting a scholarship 
in college. But before we jump in on and talking to Kyle, I'm Kirsten Jones, a peak performance and sports parenting coach. And my passion is helping others align their mission with their vision and their values to get what they want in life. As a former Division I athlete and a 14-year Nike executive, I've always loved understanding the power of what makes peak performance possible. As a mother of three and someone who's currently in the middle of supporting my oldest son, who's just committed to going to a, to a D1 school to play basketball, which has been a lifelong dream of his, um, and my two younger ones who are now in high school and middle school, I find these topics fascinating. Unfortunately, Susie can't be with us today, so I'll be running the show, but so excited to have Kyle Windell on here. Welcome, Kyle. Well, thank you for having me. Yay, are you you're safe wherever you are, right? I am safe in Playa Vista and everything's all good here. Okay, good. Uh I guess I'm just south of the evacuations and right now no no uh, smoke, but uh the winds are not not good. So uh, I I saw up to 70 mile per hour winds up in the Palisades and Chatsworth yeah. and all through the kind of the valley there. Super scary. Um, but today we're here to talk about college recruiting, and um, I'm just thrilled to have you on because you've done it from all sides, right? As a player, and then as a coach, and as a college coach, and now helping run, you know, the number one girls volleyball club in Southern California. Um, I thought we would do it in two ways, kind of attack this from two sides, which is let's talk about the pros and cons of club volleyball. I get those questions all the time, not just about volleyball, but about playing club or travel sports in general from parents and what age we should start and all of that. We're going to jump into that. And then later we'll talk about college recruiting and what does it take to be successful if that's your child's goal. And that's not everybody, every person's parent's goal or every child's goal. Um, but let me play the, the role of the parent and saying, so, you know, if I'm a parent who says, you know, I'm not, it's not necessarily our goal that she plays in college. We just want her to play through high school. We want her to have fun. We want her to be active. We know that her being active is going to be helpful. Um, you know, should she play club volleyball and is it really worth it? Um, I, I think it, it depends on what her goals are. If she's, if she's playing in high school and wants to move from freshman to the sophomore team and to eventually to varsity, it, it never really hurts to um, have some of that off-season training. A lot of the times um, these players play with each other year-round. Um, so that really gives her an opportunity to expand her relationships uh, with those players on the court and off the court. Um, and club volleyball is a great social thing, um, especially for the young women who now can travel from California to Philadelphia and Orlando and everywhere in between. And it's, it's a unique experience that um, you'll have the opportunity tr to travel as a team and, and do things as a team. And a lot of times they're many of your best friends. If she wants to play through high school, let's just say, let's put college aside for now, but just keeping her active through high school, what age should she start playing club? That, that's, that's, that's a really good question. I, I, Sunshine now has expanded to first and second graders, which uh, I think is great, not necessarily from a volleyball standpoint, but as a, a being active and being physically fit and, and learning not only the volleyball pass that spike, but just being active and running and jumping. Right. Um, 
kids in physical fitness now with with video games and phones and, and everything else. I, I think that um, when we grew up, the uh, was it the Presidential Council of Physical Fitness? Right. I mean, ha- had all these things and tests and things growing up that I don't know if they still do those in schools, but being able to be active is I think just a good life health thing. And if playing through high school, all she wants to do, then maybe she plays a little bit in seventh and eighth grade um, club. Maybe she's not on the most competitive team, but maybe she's on a second or third team just to keep her feet wet during the off season. And then, you know, as she gets better, maybe she's moved up to a first team um, in eighth, ninth or, or, or 10th grade. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with still playing on the best teams that you can possibly be on to make your high school team better. Right. Yeah. And I have multiple clients too, who have, who are daughters that are playing multiple sports and that's obviously much more rare now than it was when we were growing up. I mean, everybody played, a sport, you know, I played a sport in one in the fall, one in the winter, one in the spring, took the summer off or, you know, went to camps in the summer. Um, but now if volleyball isn't her priority sport, you know, then is it worth it to do club or no? Uh, I, I, I think sometimes it's, it's really up to the discretion of the parents and, and their level of commitment. Um, because if, if again, she wants to help her team play, well and maybe win a state championship then then yeah club volleyball might might be necessary on the flip side i know club volleyball can be very expensive for families and if that isn't that that becomes a family decision in in their level of of commitment being able to do club in high school is great but if she wants to play high school basketball if she wants to run track um there's still a lot of of athletes that can do multiple sports and participate um, in the club level at, at a lot of different you know, aspects or, or levels of commitment. I agree. And I, I love what you're saying and that it does come back to, it isn't one size fits all parents. So you have to know your kid. You have to know what your family's values are. What are you prioritizing? Is it really important that you're all together on Sunday night for dinner or is it okay that everybody's going a different direction you know most of the time I remember it was mandatory that we had family dinner every night and I feel yeah. I get everybody at the table one night a week um and, and even if I get two-thirds of the group to, together that's a big deal so um I love your advice on you know listening to yourself and what it is you your family values um so kind of all along that topic, um, it gets very competitive, very young. And I know being now being a part of that club uh, process, I didn't do that as a child, but now with my daughter participating and you hear, you know, it's, it's stressful for the parent. It's as stressful for the parent as it is for the kid um, and not making the right quote unquote right team becomes, you know, we have this FOMO, like if we don't make on the right team, then are we going to miss out? If I'm not in the right club, is is it going to be doomsday for me? So could you speak to, you know, if my daughter's 12, 13, 14, how important is it that she's on the ones versus the twos? How important is it that she on it that she's at the top club versus the club that's around the corner? I, I think having been at now 
two really good clubs that are in the top 10 in the country with Muncie, Anna, back in Muncie, Indiana, where I went to college and, and now Sunshine. There's, there's always been other opportunities for clubs um, either in the town or, or here in Los Angeles that, that provided a different level of not only commitment, but just level of, of play. Um, no scholarships are, are really won and lost um, at 12, 13s, and 14s. Um, it's not an indictment um, on anyone's parenting if, if their child makes a twos team. Um, it's not an indictment if they make a ones team. I, I think um, from the parent side, the, the best thing that they can do is, is support their um, sons or daughters through the process. I think that um, sometimes if they have to be on a twos team to provide motivation to get to that ones team for the next year or even go on to a varsity team or whatever their goals are, sometimes that's that's an okay thing. Um, some of the more prestigious volleyball clubs have um, better coaches throughout all levels. Um, that's, again, a kind of a family decision of I can go to Club A and be on a twos team and have this really great coach, or I can go to Club B and be on a ones team and have a coach that, that no one's even heard of before. And, and I think that there, there is a, a level or a certain amount of, of homework that you need to do um, before making that decision because it, it can't be about just making a ones versus the twos, right? It, you know, if you're so upset about not making a ones team that you have to go to another club to be on a ones team, to me and maybe my family was we would just laugh because my, my parents are not athletic. We're never involved in sports um, other than some kind of recreational sports after high school and making a ones or two team. They were just happy that I made a team. Right. And they know I would be taken care of and they trust the coaches and they would let the coaches do their thing. And now it seems like the, the aura of being on a ones team and getting the scholarship is just like the social, the social status when it doesn't have to be that way it, at 12 or 13 or 11, we've got to learn how to play the game. And if club a has better coaches and a better infrastructure than, than be on that twos team at, at club a and not worry about club B that could be a, a quote unquote mom and pop kind of club that parents left because they're unhappy with another club and think they can do it better. And you know, there's just so many, so many, so many variables when it, when it comes down to it at the end of the day. How important is it at the tens, 11s, 12s, if you have committed to the, to the travel, is it, is it important to go to the junior Olympics? Is it important to win? Is that the goal or what's the goal for the younger girls versus once you get to the high, the high school girls. Um, I, I think now the training methodology at the nines, tens, elevens, even twelves to some degree is, 
is not just do volleyball skills, but but be able to teach these guys or girls how to throw, how to do certain gymnastics moves so they get better and more comfortable um, in their own skin and um, their coordination and peripheral neural reception and, and all these different things that come with growing up and being coordinated, um, I think is all important. But there was there was a study, and I can't remember who who did it. It might have been USA Volleyball, but I don't want to misspeak or misquote, but it was something along the lines of the the players that were winning JOs at 11s and 12s ultimately weren't qualifying for open at 17s and 18s. It was, it was something along those lines. And I think at the, at the younger, the younger levels, what that tells me is sure. It's, it's cool to play at JOs. Um, it's cool to do those things and those trips, but at the end of the day, I, I think learning and getting better and, and developing as, as a volleyball player and more importantly, as an athlete, um, certainly trumps winning those medals at 10, 11, 12. Right. Right. I always say at the 10, 11, 12 ages, it's the three F's friends, fun, and fundamentals. And if you can go somewhere where your child can learn those, have those three things be part of the experience, then she's more likely than not to want to go back. And if she's not, you know, okay, if she, you're if you're at a club where she's not learning anything, then that's a reason to to move on. But if she's learning and she's having fun and she's making friends, then that means she's probably going to have more interest in continuing to play. Um, as she, right. As she gets older, then it does get more competitive. And I know once you get to the high school level, then yes, it does become more about winning. But when you have the the fundamentals that you built in middle school or before middle school, grade school, and middle school, then you're prepared to then try to up the game and you're a better athlete to your point. You've, you've learned the, the fundamentals of, of the sport versus just being robotic. And, and oh, for sure. Right. And t- certainly take this with a grain of salt, but when I coached at USC and, and now they're kind of involved in this college admission scandal, but when, when we would get these athletes to take before the admissions committee, we would have to create basically an athletic resume for them. And on these resumes, there there wasn't anything about, oh, I won JOs at an 11-year-old or, oh, I was a 12-year-old All-American. Like those things aren't not important, but I, but I think as you get older, those things become, those awards become less and less uh, important because you being defined as a volleyball player isn't going to happen at, at 10, 11 and 12. Right. Awesome. Totally agree. All right. Well, let's, uh, since we're going to whip through this time, I know super fast. I also want to talk about college recruiting, um, because you've yeah. lived at it, lived in it for so long and understand it so well. And I, I actually was talking with my husband about it. It's like, I think it is to a lot of people. I mean, even to me, I, I wasn't recruiter or anything. So I didn't get to go through it to the level that a lot of these kids are experiencing it. But I think a lot of parents have questions around, you know, how does it work and how do you, how could they best support their, you know, let's assume, let's assume your the child is good enough to students good enough to play at the next level. What tools do they need? Um, you know, I call it like your PR system. Who, who, 
Who's going to help them get the exposure they need? And what are the tools that they should be using to support them in that journey? Um, I think the the more people you can get involved in, in your process, um, the better. More, more eyes on you um, is, is certainly helpful. You certainly have to work through the um, all the feedback from, from all the people, if it's a high school coach, if it's a club coach, um, if it's a college counselor, um, if you've invested in getting a college recruiter, um, which those services seem like they're, they're popping up all over now. Uh, I think, I think it's never wrong to have more advice or more counsel in this, in this process. I think it's important that whoever um, is lobbying for you, they're lobbying for your goals and your priorities and your and your values as as a player. Um, but at the same time, you have to be a participant in in your own survival or your own um, your own life. Right. Um, so making your own recruiting videos, um, actually recording them, have a parent help record them go through the videos, help send out emails, make phone calls, um, showing that initiative that, that you're invested in you, uh, as a player, um, from a coaching standpoint to me is more impressive than if a parent calls or, you know, a parent is, is nudging. Pardon. Have you gotten phone calls from parents? I, I have gotten phone calls from parents and I've gotten phone calls from, which is fine. Um, and I've also gotten phone calls from players that uh, parents have to kind of nudge them through and work them through conversations, um, which, again, is, is OK, too, because I get that at the time when you're recruiting eighth, ninth and tenth graders, it's sometimes um, intimidating or, or tough to um, talk to a coach at a prestigious school or, or whatever school that is um, can be intimidating at times. But right now, so for, I mean, unless you're in that top 1%, let's put those people aside, but the average recruit can't start talking to college coaches until what age? Um, the NCAA just changed the rules and and now it's, it's basically your junior year and, and beyond. Um, They're talking to you. Yeah, you can send them emails, you can send them stuff, but, but they can't respond, they can't call you. Um, it just seems like everything is kind of going through a renaissance uh, in regards to recruiting. And these last two off seasons, there have been major, major shifts in uh, the legislation that, that governs how coaches can recruit and what, what they can do to communicate with players. So what age would you, I mean, if you can, you can though, go ahead and send them video and let them know you're out there, right? I always recommend going to their camps so that they get to know you as a player, right? What, what other recommendations would you have for getting exposure? If yeah. Can, you know a couple schools that you're like, you know, I might be interested in going there. Yeah. If I'm, let's say, interested in, in Pepperdine or UCLA, I'm going to go to matches. I'm going to go to their camps. I'm going to make sure that the coach knows that I'm interested in their program, even though they might not be able to talk to me. I'll send them emails. I'll let them know what matches we won, the tournaments that we won. Oh, we qualified for JOs. I want that coach to open their email and be like, Oh, look, it's, it's Kyle. Um, 
because that that constant r- reminder that I want to be there is is also I think to me as a recruiter important. Uh, I want kids that want to actually be there. I don't want to have to twist your arm to want to come to a Pepperdine or a UCLA. I want you there because hey, it's it's, it's important. What's the frequency without being annoying? Because, <laughs> right, I think that's what most of, you know, my, a lot of my clients are like, yeah, but I don't want to bug them. And then they're not going to want me. They're going to think I'm a pain. So that's that's always the, I think, the million dollar question of what what frequency that is. When when you used to be able to call coaches, I would I would have conversations with players sometimes two times a week, three times a week. If, if they wanted to call me and, and tell me about what's going on with them, I'll, I'll listen because I, I think it's important to them. And I know that they want to be a part of whatever program that, that I was coaching at or recruiting for. Um, and if I see emails from them, I, I know that they're thinking about us. They're thinking about that program. And I'm sure there's a fine line if you send them five emails a day every day for for three years that that might get a little annoying but um at the same time it it shows the value or the importance of of what you're doing it's your program and um how you go about your business and okay so to that point so let's pretend we don't live in southern california but if you're somewhere else in the united states where maybe you're not in a major market right Mm -hmm. Uh, that then then getting exposure at some of these camps or at tournaments becomes a little bit more critical or is video enough? Um, I think video now with all the videos um, services out there is great. Um, I also think now that a lot of these qualifier tournaments, they have showcases, college showcases before the qualifiers. I think doing a combination of video and being at these showcases where, you know, coaches are going to be at is, is important because if, if you're in a small market, chances are coach a isn't going to come to one of your high school games. So you, so you have to make the effort to gain exposure and and be seen by the people that you want to be seen by. Right. And what if, Let's switch to another common theme that I hear about and struggles about. I mean, my daughter loves volleyball. She thinks she may want to play in college, but I'm five, six and my husband's five, 10. I don't know. Maybe she'll be five, eight. Like, should we just pick a different sport right now? She's 14, 15, and she really loves volleyball. But, you know, maybe, you know, I see all these girls and they're over six feet tall. Or is this the wrong thing for me to support her in? I think, I think she has to do what she loves. And if she loves it, you guys have to support her by default as your parents. Um, I think that they're across the entire spectrum of college volleyball. There, there's really a level and a place for everyone, um, no matter what your height and, and skill level to a certain degree. Now, with that said, I know Wisconsin had a five, six or five, seven outside attacker playing a finals and a final four. I know that at USC, we had a setter who was probably five, six set us uh, into an elite eight. Um, so if, if you're willing to put in the work with, with the position that you're at, I, I think a lot of things are possible playing for a top five school as a 
five eight middle blocker probably isn't going to happen. Um, but if you want to play middle blocker, there's a place for you somewhere. Um, if you're willing to change positions and, and want to change positions, um, you, you can do that as as being what we just call undersized. Um, because, like you said, now you know some positions now are six four, six five, um, and it seems like the that top one percent keeps getting taller and taller every year. Right. Although I, we watched the Stanford UCLA match on Friday night, and their libero is five four for UCLA, and you know. Yeah. Playing D one top twenty volleyball, so yeah, Absolutely. where there's a will, there's a way. And I say, support your daughter in her dream if that's her dream, because if she's willing to do the work, then she'll also find ways to make it work for her. So that's great. And and what about the opposite too? If if you've been you grew early, and so you were super tall when you first started playing, but now you're kind of average. You know, is what at what age has it become too old to change positions? Oh well, you've always been a middle. Now you can't go to the outside. Is that true? Um, I I, I don't think. Well, I I think it's you can always change positions. I, I think whatever you decide is 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 fine. I think some positions are harder to um, switch to than than others. I think um, going from middle blocker to outside attacker is sometimes challenging because there are skills that you perform as a middle that you've never performed as an outside and vice versa. Um, going from any position to a setter um, a lot of times is is difficult because of the uniqueness of the setting position and the amount of repetitions that setters get actually setting um, is far and away much higher than, than any other skill. So making up for those, um, those lost reps as, as a setter, um, oftentimes are, are difficult. There's, there's some clubs in the United States, one in particular I'm thinking about in Chicago that has a, a 10 day setting Academy and they, they claim that your son or daughter will get a hundred thousand reps of setting in, in those 10 days, which wow. if you're a 12 year old, you do that from 12 to 18, you're now talking about 800,000 reps over the summer. And if you don't get those reps you and you make a, a setting switch, you're, you're out a lot of those, a lot of those contacts, a lot of those touches. Is it impossible? No, anything is possible. Um, but there is some struggles and there is some adversity to making some of those switches. Which is a great segue. So when we talk about adversity and we talk about things not always going our way, whether it's the team not winning or whether um, you know, you're not getting as much playing time as you like, but I talk about think about them as intangibles. What are the intangibles that you're looking for? Um, intangibles are things we have a hundred percent control over. We always don't have control over whether the team's going to win or whether we're going to, you know, get the, get, be on the top team or get a play all the time, but we have a hundred percent control over how we show up. Um, as a recruiter, when you're looking at girls or even as a club director, right? I think it probably is pretty easy to walk into the gym and you can see who showed up early, who's setting up the net, who's helping out, who's the one that's helping, you know, the teammate off the floor, how much are you looking at that when you're building teams? I think it's, it's incredibly important. I, yeah. At the end of the day on my team, I, I want just good people. 
um, there again to the parent side, it's not an indictment on your parenting skills, how how good or not so good your kid is at volleyball, but but how they are as people. I, I think we want good people in our programs that that we know are trustworthy, that are reliable, that work hard, that that do extra, that um, care about their teammates, um, that work hard in the classroom. Um, all those things together really will make for not only a great person, but a, a great experience and just a great volleyball uh, atmosphere in in your college program. Have you ever had situations where you were recruiting somebody and you saw him or her do something that you didn't find was in alignment with your club or college values and you said, you know what, I'm not recruiting them anymore? Yeah, I think we we always talked about this a couple times, and there there have been times when I've seen um, over the years players argue with parents at tournaments, or um, players make their parents carry their water bottles and bags and shoes and all this stuff after tournaments. Like for for me, that's that's not appropriate, um, and and I'm not talking about the 11 year old whose bag is just as big as they are and probably weighs more than they are. I'm talking about 15, 16, 17 year olds that are um, being disrespectful to, to their parents at these tournaments in public. And to me, that's, that's a turnoff because I don't know how they're going to be then when they step on campus. I don't, you know, I don't, it just really questions how much I might trust them or what kind of people they are. Um, I think for for better or worse, my my parents always always taught me to um, respect my elders and respect authority. And whether I like it or not, I've I've tried to uphold that uh, as much as I can, and and as be as loyal as I can to to those people, especially my parents, um, because they raised me, and I think they raised me right, and um, want them to be proud of what's what I've done and, and all those things. And I think kids now today would be remiss if there wasn't a certain level of, of thinking and you never know who's watching. That, yeah. That's the, I guess the big take home message is you never know who is seeing you act, how you act. And that always comes back to you, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I remember reading, but I don't remember what program it was, but a football college, a big program, big time program, and the coach intentionally went in without the college t-shirt on so that he could just kind of observe them in the weight room. And the star who he was recruiting was very demanding of his friends to, you know, take the bar off of him and do more reps. And once it was his time, when he was done doing his reps, he walked away and put his headphones on. And he just said, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's not who I'm recruiting. So, you know, he immediately dropped him and there's just, there's so much talent too, that co coaches also don't need to put up with it, right? Like they don't need, they don't need a babysitting job. They want to make sure they're getting kids who want to be there to your earlier point. Right. So. Right. And now I think more than ever, kids being unhappy is dictating whether a coach's contract 
gets renewed or not. And sometimes it could be one kid that's unhappy that complains that gets coaches removed. And I, and I think younger coaches and coaches that have been at programs for several years are now at some, I feel like the mood is that coaches a lot of times are, you know, walking on eggshells with, with some players because they don't know what's, what's going to happen. And I think if, when you get those good people and when you establish that trust within your program, you, you can be quote unquote hard on a player, or you can be demanding of a player because that player at the end of the day knows that you're looking out for them. You love them. You have their best interests at heart and, and just want what's best for them. Yes. That's wonderful. But if that, if that relationship hasn't been formed, then it's, it's walking on eggshells and, and you never know what's, what's going to happen. It's, it's from our profession or my profession, it's been very eye opening and it's been very disappointing in a lot of ways. There were over 900 students, student athletes in the transfer portal this past spring. So that means there's just a ton of movement going on. Okay, they're all for not all for the same reason, but when you have that much movement going on, there's a lot of, yeah, this I'm not happy here. This isn't what I want. And maybe, again, maybe the coach didn't do a good job of vetting to make sure it matched, or maybe the student do it didn't do a good job to make sure that their values matched. But when you have that much movement going on, it's so important to, um, we could do a whole nother podcast with you around get going through that recruiting process because, you know, making sure that you're getting the information you need to make sure that's the right fit for you. Right. Oh yeah. There's, there's so many factors that I think we've talked about of, I mean, at, at this point in college athletics, with the exception of maybe five to 10 coaches uh, in volleyball right now, you can assume that there's going to be turnover. They're either going to leave for another job or they're, or they're going to get fired and you have to love the university that you're at and want to be at that university, no matter who's coaching. Right. Um, Sure. You can follow around a coach and do whatever, but I would imagine as a, as a parent, having to pick up and move your kid from school to school to school either makes you an enabler or it's just a pain in the butt as parents because you have to move kids across the country every every other year. Right. Well, and you want to teach them to finish what they started too, right? Like, So if you're going to go somewhere, then it should be about the holistic I think 360 approach, not just the basketball, not or the volleyball or the lacrosse or the academics or this coach, but it should be about everything. And, and you know, what, it, what, it, why is it that you want to be there and what do you hope to get out of it in those four years? Not to say that it's always a, a perfect fit. Sometimes transferring does need to happen, but the intention going in, like going into any relationship, long-term relationships mm-hmm. is that you want to try to find the best fit. Right. So, um, yeah. With that, we're already out of time, but I want to ask you one last question and then I okay. have a final, I want to get a final thought from you. So um, if my daughter's been offered a D1 scholarship, but it's not her dream school and we're not sure if she's going to get any other offers. So it becomes this FOMO, right? You're like, if we don't take this, are we not going to get anything else? Should we just take it? Because, you know, it's a great offer, but it's not her, her end all be all. What would you 
recommend? I, I would recommend number one, being honest with the coach. Thank the coach for the offer. Ask the coach what his or her timeline is for, for that offer. Um, sometimes the coach needs to know right then. Sometimes the coach doesn't. And, and hopefully that coach can be honest and upfront about um, when they need a decision. Um, and, and I think during that interim period, whatever your dream school is, you need to pressure or force the hand of that coach that, that you might be waiting for that offer. Um, because you may get an offer from your dream school. You may not. And the coach might also say he's not sure. Um, and if the coach isn't sure, or if it's a no, you can't bank on getting that offer from the dream school. Um, because there, there may not be one. And, and a lot of times that's an unfortunate thing but a lot of these schools aren't just looking at, at you as a player. They might be looking at 15 to 25 players for that one spot. Right. Um, and all 25, that might be their dream school. Um, I'll use, Sorry. I'll use, uh, I'll use Yale as an example. I'm really good friends with the staff at Yale and, over the years, I've heard a million kids that want to go to Yale and want to play volleyball at Yale. And they have to sort through all these kids who Yale's their dream school and who's going to be the best fit for them and and being at Yale and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm not envious of, of that job whatsoever. Um, and to a certain degree at USC, when I coach there. We hear all the time the kids from Southern California. Oh, this is my this is my dream school. Um, sometimes it's a good fit, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, it's it's not. Um, so I think transparency um, and, and honesty is is the best way to to approach that that situation with the coaches. I think another thing we have to remember is they're sixteen, seventeen, or eighteen too. So what they think is going to be their dream school. You know, and you look at a picture of a really attractive girl or boy and think, oh, wow, that's for sure who I want to marry. And then you meet them in person and you're like, ooh, they have bad teeth or they don't speak very nicely. Or, you know, you realize who yeah. they are. So we we also, I think, fantasize about what, you know, oh, this checks every box. It does this, 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 this. But that's also why I think it's so important for if you're interested, I mean, go play at the camps, go get on their campus, go meet the coaches, go meet their players, ask the players how the experience is. Because sometimes it's as easy as getting onto the campus and talking to one or two of the players and you're like, you know what, that, that's not exactly what I thought it was. Oh, isn't that interesting? And that's really good information, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's, recruiting is is so fluid and it's ever moving and coaches a lot of times have to be creative when i when i coached at, at montana state i don't know that i heard once that um it was their dream school to go to bozeman montana if they didn't live in montana and once once those kids well once we were able to get them on a campus and and show them what we have to offer that's when that's when people fell in love with uh, with Montana state or they fell in love with Bozeman and said, Hey, I really need to be here. I'm, I'm thankful that I came on this visit because I would have never, I would never would have guessed this. Right. That's awesome. And Montana is very close to my heart, not Bozeman, but very close. 
<laughs> Montana is awesome. I, I love Montana. Yeah, it's a beautiful place to be from. So, so many great pieces about Montana. Um, but we've already gone past our half an hour, so we'll have to have you back and talk some more specifics later. But to finish off today, I would love to end with, we ask all of our, our guests this, the best athletes I know do this. How would you finish that sentence? I know I'm, I'm kind of throwing it at you without preparing you. The best athletes do this. I, I think this is very subjective, but I think all encompassing the, the best athletes or the quote unquote goats will, will work the hardest. And the stories about Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods, Wayne Gretzky, um, are just are legendary about what they would do to become the goat or become the greatest. And they, it, it's unbelievable. And I, uh, Michael Phelps is, is another one. Um, Serena Williams, they, they can, they can think at another level. They perform at another level. And I, I think it's about the, the work that they put in and literally being able to work harder and really be more uncomfortable and sustain more pain than maybe us normal people. I agree. Uh, Jeff Porter, who is one of the coaches at Sunshine, he had the privilege of coaching Misty May Trainer when she was younger. And he tells mm -hmm. the story quite often about even after Long Beach State won the national title, she, and she was setter of the year or MVP or whatever she was, she was the, always in the gym the hour before and the two hours after working on her setting. And to your point about reps, like it still wasn't enough for her personally. There was something more she could have gotten out of and know, knowing that she, if she was willing to do the work, then it was going to, you know, she didn't even know she was going to go play beach probably at that time. So I love, yeah. love hearing those stories. They're so inspirational. And I think they're just on another another wavelength that we can be in awe of, but we'll never really comprehend what they go through. Even Lance Armstrong, who I know who admitted using performance-enhancing drugs, still to be able to win Tour de France's seven in a row, the amount of uncomfortableness and pain having to train and go through all that. It's incredible. Michael Phelps for 20 years winning Olympic gold medals. Yes. Um, it's, it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Which comes so. back to how we started, which is if this is her dream or his dream as you're coaching your parent, your, your children and supporting them in their journey, if they're telling you this is what they want, I think that's the biggest thing you can do is, ask them and check in regularly with them because also the dream you had at six or eight doesn't always continue to be the dream you have at 15 and 17. But if you're, if you're checking in with them regularly and they're still saying, yes, this is what I want. And they're showing signs of wanting to get early. And, and those are the ones that, you know, this is their passion that you don't have to carry their bag for them, that you don't have to remind them that there's practice, that you don't have to, you know, drag them to the gym they they're asking for it they're they're wanting it that those are good indications that they're wanting to get better right? agreed well thank you kyle so much this was fascinating i love having discussions with you <laughs> about i do too thank you um and parents if you enjoyed this and you know there's another sports parent who's trying to get better at supporting their teen athlete 
Uh, we would be so honored if you go into iTunes and rate and share this podcast. Our goal is to support parents in not only raising strong athletes, but more important, extraordinary people who are trying new things, failing forward, and getting up to do it all over again. Thanks so much. 